Good morning. Who had this morning's scriptures reading? This morning's reading is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering was put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciple to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasure than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. May God bless this reading. Thank you, Michael. <clears throat> all right, good morning, church. We're um, doing a series on uh, people encountering Jesus. And uh, today's passage is really interesting. Um, this, this, the, the subject of this passage, this widow, this nameless widow, she wasn't really being encountered by Jesus. What we'll find this time is that Jesus, in a sense, sees her and indirectly encounters her. So that is our text here today. And so uh, let's kind of look into that. And, and uh, perhaps you heard this story. And, and you know, in, initially it's about, it's about finance, but actually it's a lot more than that. And so uh, let's uh, tune in to see what, what Jesus says. But before this... Um, there was a tune in my mind all this week. And as I read this uh, passage, this song keeps, it's still going in my head. I'm not going to sing it to you. But it's by the Beatles, okay? And the chorus goes, look at all the lonely people. Do you know that song? Where, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And the tune by the Beatles, singing about a woman named Eleanor Rigby. She's an elderly woman, past her prime. Daily, she just sits in front of her window, you know, watching the passers-by. And she has, you know, a jar full of rice, remembering the time she went to a wedding and uh, she carried that rice and just maybe uh, bygones, maybe reflecting all the things that, that just passed her by. Very lonely. And the chorus goes on and on. And then one of the stanzas brings in Father McKenzie, all right? He's the parish priest. And uh, he faithfully serves in his priesthood. And in the church, he's writing, this is what really depressed me, he's writing a sermon that no one's going to hear. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> he's serving the community where there's no one. So he's doing his part, but there's no one there. And then the chorus goes on, and the lonely people. And yet, and then, and then the last stanza is where they bring, where he brings Eleanor Rigby and, the, and Father McKenzie together. Eleanor passes away. He does his duty. He uh, uh, does her funeral. No one's there. And after the duty's done, he kind of, um, you know, dusts his hand, and he goes on to his duty, and he doesn't even know her name. So, you know... It's a sad song, actually. <laughs> Everything's in minor key and chord and everything. And, uh, and you know, just kind of thinking and reflecting upon uh, not only this passage, but just the reality of life is that a lot, there's a lot of lonely people. And Father McKenzie, the clergy, didn't even notice this, this person. Everyone's doing their own thing. 
And this song, actually, if you dig right into it, the Beatles is giving a little slight against the church. Anyway, that's a whole different thing because the church is complicit in the loneliness of a lot of people. But anyway, today we have this passage here, a very short passage about a widow, again, a nameless widow. She doesn't encounter Jesus necessarily, but Jesus notices her. He doesn't encounter her, but, but he says something great about that. And, and so um, he, he sees her. And it's really exciting, actually. Because if the Beatles song is true, which I think it is, and, and we have even this passage here to show that there's a widow that no one really sees, the, there is a message, um, you know. And I think about a lot of people who are in that kind of category. You know, you, you don't even have to be elderly. You know, we're working hard. New York is a hard place to live. We're doing the right thing. You know, elections coming. We want to elect the right people so we can get our, you know, don't have to pay that many much taxes, you know, we, we live by the rules, pretty decent people, and yet um, I suspect that we all feel overlooked in many ways, right? But, you know, that's why we need a message like this uh, once in a while. We have a message today, and it's quite simple, that Jesus, our God, he actually notices you. Whether you're like this woman in the temple or not, whether you're giving two coins or a lot of coins, it doesn't really matter. Jesus notices you. He notices your plight, right? He notices your heart. He notices uh, that it is a good heart, and yet it's empty sometimes, or maybe it's hurting or it's seeking. I don't know, but whatever our hearts represent, he does see that. And here's the beautiful part is that he intends to meet it. And that's kind of like where I want to go today. It's a very simple sermon. So again, um, to elaborate um, this, I want to do it in three points, all right? I want to talk about who this widow is. Who is this widow, all right? Um, Again, this nameless widow. So let me give you the context. Because it doesn't only start in chapter 12, last section of chapter 12. Actually, what I, if you, if this was a Bible study, we'll start from chapter 11. And let me just run through why this scene is so odd and really irrelevant, if I may, in the context. And this is what I'm talking about. In the context, in chapter 11, is, is um, Jesus is about to go die. This is like the last week of his life. And so he makes a turn. He did all his ministry. He taught the people, healed and all that. And, and he's revealing now for the first time that he's the Messiah. And so he's going to Jerusalem, which means he's going towards the cross. That means he's on a donkey. This is whole Easter stuff, right? And he goes down knowing that he's going to go to the cross the following week. So he enters Jerusalem. And where does he go? He goes straight to the temple. And in the temple, this is where he drives out the money changers because they weren't uh, worshiping God. It was a den of uh, robbers and all these kind of things. He's, he gets a cord of whip and he just, he does all that. And, and who are at the temple? Well, people are there for the Passover. All kinds of people is busy. But then you also have the chief priests. You have the teachers of the law, the elders, the Pharisees. In other words, all of the elected, uh, high, important religious people are there at the temple at that time. And Jesus comes right in there and there is a lot of chaos. There's a lot of activity. And then these religious leaders see Jesus and they, they, want, they really want to arrest him and get him, but they can't. 
So they're arguing theologically back and forth. Even the Herodians, you know who they are? They're people who work for Herod. These are the government officials. Even they got in the game trying to uh, accuse him of tax evasion. <laughs> Is it do you pay taxes? And, and they're trying to get in the game. And then there's the other left-wing group called the Sadducees, and they're there. I mean, the fact that you see the liberal left and then the progressive right, well, not progressive, but the alt-right, come together for one common thing, you know that's something special. And you see it happening here. What were they doing? They were all going against Jesus. And that's in the temple. Chaotic. It was a busy affair. And this is the context in chapter 11 and chapter 12, all right? And yet, there were travelers. There were hordes of people coming in and out of the temple because of the Passover. And this is what people do on an uh, annual basis. Literally, everyone is there in the midst of this chaos, people going in and out, lonely people everywhere. Hectic scene. And the question is, does anyone notice them, you know? Um, in the middle of all this political gesturing, you know, in this temple, in this chaotic business. That's why this section in chapter 12 is so interesting because Jesus notices a widow, <laughs> you know? And so this, this, is going, this is the teaching point here. So let's figure out what this is. Out of all the people to notice, and if you were there, you would notice all the you know, pomp and circumstances of political leaders, religious leaders and their garbs. Very, you know, you can't, not, you can't unnotice that. I mean, that's like, they're the important people. Of course, Jesus sees that at the temple. But he notices when this widow. What, who, what is a widow? Well, widow, by definition, in all centuries and cultures, is a woman whose spouse or husband has died, all right? And if you're a widower, you know, um, um, as a man, your wife has died. So that's what a widow is. And that's the commonality. But there's a difference in the first century in how this term widow is understood. In the first century, usually if you're a widow, not a widower, but a widow, a female widow at that time, uh, is usually not good because you have no one to provide for you after the husband has passed away. There was no social security in the Roman Empire system. And thus, if you're a widow, you're often grouped with the most vulnerable people in the population and in society, the, you, those who are fatherless, uh, categorized as aliens and the poor, the marginalized. And you're just kind of lumped into that category, all right? That's what an understanding of a widow was in the first century. And the beautiful thing about Scripture is that if you do a holistic study, in, especially in the Old Testament, you'll find that God recognizes the widow's plight. And I don't have time to go over all this stuff, but, but God rises to the widow's defense. The Bible says widows are to be treated with honor and compassion and protection so that no one takes advantage of, advantage of them. And if a person denies justice to a widow, they're in big trouble. I mean, because so, 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 you know, in the ancient Near East in the first century, that is an understood uh, plight of a widow, and God cares for the widow, all right? So here's the contrast. <clears throat> I set all this up because the contrast in chapter 12 in the temple is that you have, you have, um, you know, really powerful, respected people in the culture, in the religious temple. 
again, and they're noticed, they're watched, they're respected, they're desired. They want everyone wants to be like them. And then you have this widow who is overlooked, who is invisible, hmm? not even a thought. And this person is just irrelevant going in as part of the crowd. So who's going to care for uh, Eleanor Rigsby, right? The widow in this temple. Who's going to do that? And I would say that God's heart is there. He's God would raise his hand and say, I will. But, but God doesn't have a body. You know, Jesus has a body, but it's not here, right? Even for us today, God, does, God is spirit. So, so who's going to fill that role? And that is people. That's you and me. And the lesson that Jesus sees here, the lesson that he's trying to show is that Jesus notices this widow. And it's not just giving coins. He notices her when no one seems to care. In fact, all those high people should be the one who's supposed to be noticing others, especially the widows. That's kind of the point. You know, um, loneliness is, is, is a common problem in any generation, uh, every society, every culture. Is, today is no exception. Um, and there's no doubt, especially the elderly in our population, are very lonely. You know, I see Linda back there. She has her team, and then she ministers to the uh, Little Neck Nursing uh, Care Facility down, the, down, down there, right? And Linda has a team, and uh, we talk about this, and, and she notices that there's a lot of residences there, and they're lonely, right? And, and, and uh, hardly uh, anyone uh, visits them. That's just the way it is in all um, elderly uh, care facilities, and, that, and that's lo they're lonely, and, that, and, some, and, and we have to do something about that. But at the same time, what is surprising is, I've been looking at some surveys, you know there's young people, <clears throat> the Gen Zs, 18 to 22, there's some tests that sociologists put together and they were really surprised to see that even among Gen Zs, the, the, the score of loneliness scale, whatever that is, according to that particular survey, they scored higher on loneliness than those who were in age 72 and above. Fascinating. Again, there are a lot of reasons why we have that. And you don't have to be in the extreme. Most of us in this middle category, you know, uh, those of you who are focusing on your career, so busy. Maybe you're married and maybe you have children and you're extremely busy, <laughs> right? Do you think you're lonely? We're just busy. We just don't realize it. You know, we had Harvest um, Festival last weekend, and, you know, hundreds of people, well, maybe about two or 300 people came. It was great to see people from outside the community. And just in my, and it's just, uh, I, I was wondering, just wondering my mind, how many are like Eleanor Rigsby, you know, uh, struggling maybe? Even though they're, they're, just, they're just there for the kids. <laughs> they're just kids in tow, making sure they're having a good time. And then I wonder, man, you know, I want to connect with them. I, I, I know there are a lot of people who are struggling. You know, these are families, young families with a bunch of kids. It's hard. Maybe they're struggling economically, spiritually, you know, emotionally. I mean, this is just common factor for everyone, you know. But anyway, does anyone notice all these people? And the answer is, Yes, I mean, God notices us. And that's really the message I'm trying to uh, pound here. He does notice us. 
We have a God who sees no matter what stage of life we are in. Don't assume just because you have a little group of friends or you're young, whatever, that, that you're good. No, we all need we all need people. We all need God. So this is what one of the things that I want to show you. So that's the widow category. All right. Second question I have is, as Jesus is watching, he noticed the widow giving two coins. So what did the widow actually give that caused a reaction from Jesus? This is what Jesus said in verse 43. He called the disciples to himself. This was a learning, a lesson moment. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow, okay, she's not looking for Jesus. Jesus looked at her, right? He noticed, he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And in fact, in our reading, it says here, many rich people put large sums in that, in that treasury. And yet compared to that, Jesus pointed out the poor widow saying she gave a lot more. She gave two coins, it says. Now, how do we know that? How does Jesus know that? What, was this public knowledge? Like every time you put money in, does it like show so-and-so gave X amount? First of all, why was Jesus looking? What's wrong with him? <laughs> does he care what you give, how much you give, right? Why is Jesus comparing? You know, just to let you know, full disclosure, I have no idea what you give. It doesn't really bother me, okay? But if you knew, I knew everything, you'd be asking the same question, wouldn't you? Yes, I know you will. In town hall, maybe you can ask me that. (laughs) But you know what I mean? So like Jesus gets to do this. And so in your inquisitive mind, you know, push back a little bit. Jesus, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you looking? Why do you care, right? You know, Hyunsu and I, I don't know if you noticed, Hyunsu, remember this, but we we went to a wedding uh, when we were back in Philadelphia. It was a um, uh, uh, Chinese, it was a multi, multicultural wedding. It was a Chinese family and a Korean family meeting together. And we were invited because we we're the pastor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, that's when we fell in love with Chinese banquet weddings. So if you're going to have weddings in, in a Chinese banquet, please invite us. We love that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> that's not the message. But the whole point is that in this banquet, as we're oh, enjoying courses after courses, the MC will come in, come up once in a while and announce Cousin so-and-so gave this gift, and it was gold necklace. Everybody, yay, we're eating. And then also the MC comes back up again. Now another gift. So-and-so gave diamond earrings. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And we're eating again, and so-and-so is giving $10,000. Wow. And I'm like, wow, this is getting bigger. And, and sure enough, MC comes up again and announces just like, you know, um, the price is right, Bob Barker. A new car! <laughs> and sure enough, it was a new car. A key to the Lexus. I'm not sure if they gave a key to a new house. I don't, but I wouldn't be surprised. I forget what. But I just remember. Wow. <laughs> They're like telling everybody who cousin and so-and-so or rich uncle gave to this couple. Man. I thought, and maybe, maybe it was a cultural thing. I don't know. But it was interesting. All right. So what, is that what Jesus was doing? <laughs> is that what he, he was just kind of waiting and just announcing what was going on? Here's the thing. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, let me give you a tiny little context of what was going on. The treasure. So here's the temple. It's a public thing. Everybody goes in. And, and, and there, this, this, in the temple, uh, there's a place called the Court of Women. 
And it's not because there were only uh, women are allowed, but the whole point is that women couldn't go beyond a certain point. And in that place, a lot of people gather and there are columns there and there are these treasuries or the places where they collect money. Do you have this, um, do you have this um, image? Uh, uh, it, they put in this thing called the trumpet. And the reason why it's a trumpet, because it's like the trumpet kind of inverted. And this is a, a artist's rendering of what that might look like. And what happens is when you put coins in there, you see how narrow it is up on top? And you put a coin there and, you know, it takes time, go do, 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 and plop, <laughs> okay? And so, so that's, and there were like 11 of these things all around the temple and these are like, uh, offerings and everybody who go there knew. Okay, if I want to give to so and so causes, I will go there and and put those coins in. All right, and so that chest was called were called trumpets. And so if you think about it, um, you know, every, it's not just Jesus. So let's take Jesus off the hook. It's not like he was watching you. Like you sit there and then if someone goes up and puts ten coins in there. How long do you think that those 10 coins will take to get to the bottom? Maybe maybe um, uh, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, I don't know, right? Because you got to put one at a time. Now, you, you're, you have a more than 10 coins, you have 100 coins, because they didn't have dollar bills or credit cards back then. They only had coins. So, you, you know, you're more spiritual, you have more money, you go and you put 100 coins. How long does 100 coin, how long does it take to put 100 coins in that trumpet? Maybe a um, couple of minutes, few minutes. Maybe if you're slow and you want to make sure everybody hears you, maybe five minutes, I don't know. If you think, so think about this. What if you brought, it says some, my Bible says many rich people brought large sums. So if, I don't know if they had a wheelbarrow, but I will bring a thousand coins. <laughs> everybody watch me, watch me, watch me. <laughs> a thousand going in. That's going to take, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. I don't know. So you see, well, Jesus is not in your business. He doesn't really care. But the longer you're there, the more you're giving, right? <laughs> Here's this woman, widow, to put two coins in there, probably take less than a second, I guess. Not very long. And then she goes out. That's how he knows that um, this woman um, gave that much. I want you to notice something. As, as people are giving, Jesus has no opinions on those who gave much. He's not condemning them. He's not like saying, you're not giving more. No, he's actually, you know, I'm glad he doesn't say anything because that's what you do, you know? And, and I'm glad people who give out of abundance are able to give, you know? And Jesus accepts that. He, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. However, the point of Jesus noticing the widow's offering is the giving, not the amount, but the giving and the reason for her giving. This is what we're trying to get. Because quantitatively, 1,000 coins versus just two tiny copper coins, it has higher value. That's just law of economics. Everybody knows that. And Jesus has no problem with that. And in fact, Luke chapter 12 says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, guess what? Much will be asked. So it's all about responsibility. So if you have much, 
God bless you. It's just more burden on you, all right? And even if you uh, have little, you still have that responsibility anyway, because that's the expectation. That's how people are, and uh, especially people of faith. God gives us, blesses us, and he expects us to put, give that in return. So the law of economics show that the widow's two copper coin has minuscule or very little value. He says even calculated here, which makes a penny. Some version says a less than a pity. What can you buy with a penny? Nothing. Can you buy anything? I think back in my days, you can buy a piece of gum with a penny. But not anymore. I don't know what you could buy with a penny. Has no value, all right? However, if you see from the widow's perspective, Let's just turn this thing around. The only thing she has on her person are two coins. And guess what? From her perspective, that's a lot. You know why? Because that's all she has. <laughs> all right? And so that's why Jesus said she gave all that she had. That's all she had on her right now. So if you only have two coins... That's not a little. Law of economics says you won't buy you anything, but actually from a personal perspective, that's all you have. So that's a lot. Do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? So so that's not a little bit. It is a lot. And when it came to, here's the point, volunteering to, get, to offer it. She didn't have to give the tiny little thing she had, but to volunteer to give it to the temple. Because not only, maybe it's a responsibility, everyone has a responsibility, maybe she wanted to do it uh, as an offering, but, but she did it, and she gave a lot. Not because it has value, but because that's all she had, you see? And this is the point, I think, that Jesus is making. No one was impressed with less than a second of coins going cling, clang, clang, and no one is impressed with that. Because not much. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus was impressed. Because that's all she had. You know what I mean? Again, Luke 12, 48. If you have much, you, are, you have a lot of responsibility. For her, she had a lot. That's all she had was two coins. And she fulfilled that responsibility. And Jesus says, I see that. I notice you. So, um, you know, you hear stuff like this, right? You're like, oh, that's ridiculous. How should we give everything, you know? If I empty out my bank account so I can give, just is that what Jesus is saying? The absolute, and the answer is absolutely no. He's not asking you to liquidate all your life savings and all that to give like the widow. It's not like that, you know? The whole point is that this is what she had at that time, what was on her. Maybe she prepared to give that too. I don't know, but that's all she had. And then she gave. So ultimately, what did the two coins represent. It's about the responsibility, you know. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want our money. He has everything. And there's a psalm turned into a song. It says, God is the owner of the cattle on a what? Do you know this verse? Or this thing? On a thousand hills, okay? <laughs> he owns everything. So he doesn't really need our stuff. But he wants us to be part of that. Uh, John Rulin is a, a speaker, motivating speaker. He, he has a, a website. He wrote a book called Giftology. Really interesting. Study of gifts. And, and in it, he says a lot, of, a lot of things that make sense for some of you who know how to give gifts. 
And basically what he's saying is as he's working with all these corporate uh, um, big big rich companies you know they're they're spending millions of dollars trying to sell their vision and and they give and the donors give lots of money and so you know what they do at the end of the year to give appreciation maybe a corporate t-shirt or a mug you know what I mean? it's like it doesn't it doesn't really work it's not it's not really helping them and the whole point of giftology john Rowland is saying you know whether whether it's a lot of money or just twenty dollars or fifty dollars if you give a gift you know, where, where people connect the relationship and just, you know, give a gift that suits them. You know, you know, like uh, in our family, uh, you know, our, you know, our little kids, they love their grandparents. And so what can they give their grandparents? <laughs> they don't have any money. I'm not going to give them money. <laughs> so what they do is they, they draw stuff, right? <laughs> they, they, they make stuff and it, and it has no value. But in the eyes of grandma and grandpa, oh my gosh, I think a grandfather uh, framed one of our kids' pictures. <laughs> you know, it's like they make stuff and they prize it. They go to their house. It's all the stuff that our kids made for them because that's value. And that's what giftology all about is all about. What is the whole point? God owns everything. What can you give someone who has everything? <laughs> More money? No. Maybe a tenth or maybe just a little bit more than a tenth, and would he be satisfied? Give him the gift that reflects that relationship with him. Hmm? That's actually what he wants. He wants obedience. He wants whatever he's blessed you with, he wants you to reflect that to give to him. So one of the things that you can give to God, and it may seem like just two coins, but God says, I see that and I delight in that. And you know what that is? Maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be January. Start a resolution. I'm going to meet you, Lord Jesus, the first thing in the morning before I have my coffee. Well, for me, I have to have my coffee. So I made a deal with Jesus. I'll be with you with my coffee. That's okay. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like make a resolution to spend some time with this creator of the universe. Maybe that's our two coins. And that's expensive. <laughs> Doesn't cost you anything in terms of money, but it cost is very expensive. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants you to spend time, you know, uh, with others. Oh, I have no time, which is a very expensive thing, by the way. I have no time for anyone else. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's our two coins, right? Taking risks for the kingdom. But anyway, all these kind of things we can go on. And I really believe that's what, Jesus noticed with the woman. All right, lastly, how does Jesus see the widow? All right, he caught her. She wasn't looking for him, but he caught her eye. No, the other way around. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, whereas the temple leaders and the political leaders and all those important people who held this position, all right, in this culture, they, they saw the widow as a person to be pitied. They saw the widow as uh, someone marginalized, but Jesus saw the widow in the most peculiar way, all right? Let me read this again, verse 43 and 44. He took that as a, a point of teaching, calling his disciples, says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money in the treasury than all the others. 40, verse 44, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, but in, every, in, in everything she had to live on. And I would just say for that day, okay? 
Jesus saw something great in this widow. So what did he really see? You know, all of us carry um, multiple identities. You know that, right? You know, um, and I'm not just Stephen. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm your pastor, and I'm Hyunsu's husband. I'm, I'm a father, right? And I'm a um, corny goofball. Is that, can you say? Thank you. You know what I mean? Some people who see me have different identities for me, okay? We all have them. When you're workplace, you know, you might be the, uh, you know, whatever, right? We have all these identities, and, and um, in our culture, uh, our identities gets pulled out, and, um, and this one philosopher is trying to argue that and try to wonder, can our identities, you know, uh, help us and unite us together rather than divide us? One of the, one of the philosophers asked this question, how can we masquer each other in terms of identity? And the whole point that I'm trying to say is that we have identities, and the thing is, if you, one of your identities is threatened, um, what we do is we overcompensate that and that becomes our main identity. In other words, if someone told me that I am like a bad father, you know what I'll do? I'll overcompensate everything. I'll give up this church. I'll give up everything to be the best dad. That's how we are. If, I, if you say I, I, I'm a horrible pastor, then I would sacrifice my family f- to be the best pastor. Does that make sense? That's what we do all the time. Whatever our identities are, if we're poo-pooing on that, then all our identities get to the side. And so we mask ourselves and who we are. And right now, oh, you know, our, our identity politics is so toxic that we can't even see each other as people and brothers and sisters in the church. You're either right or left. And it's like, that's ridiculous. And now this is what our evangelical church. Anyway, that's a different thing, all right? The reason why I bring all that, because when Jesus sees her, he, she has an identity. Everybody sees her as an identity, as a widow. And when everyone sees her, they easily deduce and see only one thing about this lady, that she's a widow. And if you're considered a widow, you're the most vulnerable, you're poor, you're marginalized. And then that's done. Okay? To all the people at the temple, her identity was only a widow, so you feel sorry for her. And people have massacred, massacred her identity as a woman. You see that? That's what's happening. Labored her, and they subsequently treated her that way. That's what happens. Jacqueline Novogratz, uh, she's a founder and CEO of a, a nonprofit called Acumen. And, and you know, we've, I've been uh, reading, uh, hearing a podcast about her, and she's fascinating. She, oh, she, all her life is all about the poor. She, she goes to Africa and she does venture capital and she raises up people from poverty and, and brings them to a place of sufficiency. Amazing stuff. You got to check her out. If you don't want to know who she is, I'll let you know, give you more details. But through Jacqueline Novogratz's work in poverty-stricken countries, what she realized, she witnessed firsthand how broken systems and corrupt governments you know, they, they strip people uh, from, from, you know, uh, from everything in low-income family and, 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 and just reduce them to poverty. And one line that she said is just, just worth everything. Because through all her years of working, she said, the opposite of poverty is not what you think. It's not money. That's how we think. Just poor money. 
into uh, poverty and it's going to be okay. No. In her work, she said the opposite of poverty is not money but dignity. When you dignify a person in poverty, then it gives them choices and opportunities to succeed. So this widow is not just uh, someone to overlook who's lonely. That's typical. Just like I said last week about the woman at the wall. That's typical. But Jesus never does typical. He sees her as a woman of dignity. Isn't that something? That's what he saw in her. He didn't just see her as one identity and that was it. He saw her as a, as a person who worth with value. Isn't that great? Uh, let me finish with this. Uh, in earlier part of Mark, um, the Herodians came, the government came trying to uh, see if he was tax evading. And uh, this is just genius. And he says, they're putting me to us. He says, basically, why, why aren't you paying taxes? He says, bring me a coin, which was a denarius. And this little coin is worth one day's wage. So it's pretty valuable. It says, whose inscription is on it? All right. And they said it was Caesar. And this is Jesus. He's such a genius. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, what's interesting, the image of Caesar is the currency of this world, is everything, is identity politics. Everything you want to know about this world on your dollar bill, uh, the Benjis, or I don't even know what's on a 500, is there a $500 bill? I don't know. But Benjis, that's all we know, right? You know, that's, that's it. That's your image. You follow that image. And that's what Jesus is saying. But the reason why Jesus was able to see this woman, because she has she's made in the image of God. She's not made in the image of Caesar because she has no silver's coin, Caesar's coins. She has the image of God. Oh, man. You, do you have any idea that you are more than the sum of who you are? Do you have any idea that you are sum of more than what you do, what you make, what people have said about you? what identity you want to prioritize. You're more than that, all right? You're more important, and, you're, and, you're, and the most important uh, dignity that you have is that you are made in the image of God. That means you're a child of God. Isn't that great? That's what you have. <laughs> and Jesus sees that. Yes, you're lonely. It's tough. I get it. But Jesus sees that, and he's going to value that because you are dignified. I love that stuff. So he laid down his own image on the cross so he can give us, repl replenish that image in us. And, and, and those of you who have accepted Jesus, this is what we, we could do every week. Come, not every week, but at the Lord's table. We, we, we get to, we get to um, you know, exchange our poor image with the image of God that he has made for us on the cross. And that's what we're going to do right now. All right. Let's, um, I want to, just close out in prayer as I do. I want to ask uh, the praise team to come up. Let me just pray for you and then we'll begin and prepare for communion. Father, I thank you that you do see us more than we know ourselves. And I thank you that you see us more than we see you. Um, you know, again, we did, said a lot of things, but... We are like the widow in many ways. Um, I thank you that you do notice us. I thank you that 
you, whatever we give, you receive. I thank you that as we give out of obedience and heart, uh, with our time, resources, all the stuff you've given us, that, Lord, you will be pleased with that. Father, I pray that you multiply gifts and talents. But, Lord, uh, today uh, we just want to make sure that you do know us and see us. And as we come to the table, uh, would you renew our image? We know we're your children, but we certainly don't live like that. But through this time, would you, would you restore that? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.